Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 190. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute something to every issue of Freaky, so please check it out. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to the slow poisoner at gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last on sale now is mark arlo's latest book called pac-man the first animated show based upon a video game this book tells the story of Pac-Man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the Hanna-Barbera Animation Studios. The history of the video games, pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-offs, the merchandise, and the animated TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980s series is covered and examined. Plus... Mark Arlen covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. I'm currently working on articles about Nightmare, the Galloping Ghost, and the Harvey Comics superheroes for Back Issue and Alter Ego, respectively. My Mad Book is being proofread, and my second Disney book is almost done, and I am currently working on TV cartoons that time forgot. Be sure to buy my latest books, the TTV Scrapbook and the Pac-Man Book. On today's show, we have a writer who's written books about Vernon Dent, Ted Healy, Henry Brandon, Edgar Kennedy, as well as his latest book called Hollywood in Monterey. Here he is, Bill Cassera. 
Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and here we are with another Fun Ideas podcast. And today I have another book author. He writes for Bear Manor Media, just like I do, and his name is Bill Casera. So how are you today, sir? I'm very comfortable. Thank you. Very good. Now, um, your latest book, which I'll hold up now since you uh, graciously sent me a copy, Hollywood in Monterey. Are you currently in Monterey as we speak, or have you moved in a different area? No, I, I've retired right. 17 years ago. I'm living in Southern California. Oh, okay. But I lived in Monterey and had my career there for some 30 years. Mm-hmm. So, so it was a memoir, mm-hmm. autobiography. Now, the interesting thing going through it, I mean, I know you're a few years older than me, but it's like it was almost like reading an autobiography of myself because uh, I grew up in San Jose Bay Area. Uh, I was born in Sar- or born in San Jose, grew up in Saratoga. But every place that you mentioned, I was either familiar with or visited quite frequently or lived in. <laughs> you know, it was like, wow, you know. Well, San Jose is in my blood, my uh dad was born and raised here and my grandfather uh got married in san jose and opened up a barber shop in 1915 hmm. so i go way back i've always been interested in san jose history i'm a history buff yeah and i am too on certain things about san jose so like when they have and you may have seen these since you're in the area or have been uh different uh books that talk about the movie theaters uh, in the san jose area and uh other ones that show like the old neon signs of uh you know businesses that have gone out of business long time ago and things like that so that stuff excites me so and the vitaphone used to go there all the time in saratoga yep um i never actually went in it because i was pretty young when it was around and when i finally figured it out and started getting interested in old movies that was about the time they tore it out and i'm like anyway (laughs) (laughs) go figure but uh it was the same with the garden theater my uh little Glen neighborhood they used to show movies uh monday through Sunday and had a kitty matinee. That was my introduction to being able to see cinema at mm-hmm. a very young age. I went every Saturday, and of course, the downtown theaters in San Jose all also. Yeah. Now, fortunately, uh, uh, there's the Stanford Theater up in Palo Alto, and I've gone to many old movies there, and the Castro Theater up in San Francisco, seen many old movies up there. So, I mean, that kind of made amends for missing out, and even the Los Gatos Cinema. Uh, it would show old movies from time to time or midnight movies at least. So things like that. So at least I got caught up when I started getting really interested in old movies and everything like that. So um, now <laughs> reading your book, um, you go all over the map. I mean, you, you ha- it, it's a great story because it's the real story, but uh, I, I, I guess the question you kind of answer this in the book, but I'd rather have you kind of talk about it a little bit. I mean, you have all this interest in old time movies and Laurel and Hardy and being in the sons of the desert and all these other things. And at the same time, you're into uh, law enforcement, you were a security guard, you know, you got went through all this, everything. And uh, so you kind of did the best of both worlds when you were young, which direction were you headed for and how did you manage to do both? <laughs> Well, as I said before, I'm a I'm history buff, 
So that was easy for me. You know, I learned San Jose history and then movie history, but I never thought of that as an occupation pursuing uh, uh, Hollywood movies, Mm -hmm. uh, only as a hobby. Uh, I was too far removed for studying anything like that. Plus, I went to Southern California uh, universities, which uh, I, I could do. I was looking for a job that I could make a profession at. And uh, since I was a, a docent for San Jose Museum, I, I enjoyed interacting with people. And I thought that was a step up if I could get a job in law enforcement dealing with people. And uh, I, I thought it was a, a, a natural uh, progression. Mm-hmm. Well, when you explain it like that, yeah, I guess so. You know, because uh, it, uh, you know, I didn't know wh- what your goals were with law enforcement. If you're like, I'm going to create order here, or if it's just like more of a like, you know, I get to be out with the people, you know, and things like that. Uh, you yeah, know, got to be a people person yeah. to to make it in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And not patrol, you know, but uh, my only goal was to uh, learn and progress in the department and and retire. You know, that's that's a big block of time you're talking about. And I've always had that hobby. I remember when uh, I used to participate in oral boards and they used to ask me uh, what my hobby was. And mine was always unusual to uh, to hear. It's, I'm a movie buff. Yeah. So they, you know, a lot of them say, say you know, other things, but uh, not too many say movie buffs. But that's exactly what I am and was. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you were young, I was just, did you just, like my, I'll, I'll use my dad as an example. He's still around and, you know, he basically kind of lived in the movie theater because there was no television or anything like that when he was a kid. And uh, he would go to matinees and things like that and stay like the whole day on Saturday or something like that. Watching yeah. Is that what you did as well? You know. As well. Mm-hmm. And... I had a newspaper route. And um, so my whole day was taken up. You know, we'd go down to downtown cinemas come back and deliver the papers and get ready for Sunday morning. So I I was very busy growing up. Mm -hmm. How did you kind of parlay that into, you know, history? What, what, what made you a history buff? What you just, when you would see these movies, you'd say, Oh, I want to know what, why they're made or who was in them and statistical things, or was it everything? Unending curiosity about things, what happened for my life. And so, you know, yeah, that overlaps with movies, but also local history and, of course, um, ancient history, uh, U.S. history, anything that I can learn. And uh, I didn't pursue it in college as much as I'd like to because I had to get a uh, administration of justice degree. Mm-hmm. But it was always there. Mm-hmm. And I'm still pursuing knowledge. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were uh, doing law enforcement, did you like uh, kind of expound or whatever, or discuss your knowledge with everybody, or did you kind of keep it like to yourself, you know, back then? Not at all. Not at all. In 1984, I had uh, two peers, and I we 
established the local uh, Laurel and Hardy uh, Sons of the Desert tent in Monterey. And uh, so we put the word out. Uh, I hosted uh, these film opportunities at my house. And uh, it's been going ever since. We're almost at the 40-year mark. Mm -hmm. Of course, we don't meet at my house anymore. We meet in uh, Niles, California. I've been there, yeah. So you're still, even though you're in Southern California, you still come up and uh, work with the Sons of the Desert up in the Bay Area, basically. On an occasion, because not too far away, but there is a local Whale West tent here in Los Angeles. In fact, I'm going to be speaking there next month Mm -hmm. uh, about another book subject I wrote about, Henry Brandon, like co-authored with Rick Green. Mm -hmm. Now... um... I probably have the answer to this too, but I'm going to ask all these anyway, because, you know, I've written a lot of books, but uh, I tend to write books that about subjects that haven't been covered. I mean, since you started a Sons of the Desert tent, it would seem obvious. Why don't you write a book about Laurel and Hardy? But you have not. But uh, what is your reasoning behind it? (laughs) It's already been covered. And in every which way. And there's still people churning out uh, things. And and it's it's interesting you bring that up because I always had a point. Uh, People used to discourage any kind of book uh, prospects about Laurel and Hardy. I I remember hearing someone said, well, uh, there's already been a biography written about them, Mr. Laurel and Mr. Hardy, and now they're both dead. So what's there to write about Right. <laughs> that's, that's what do you mean? That just because you can't interview them doesn't mean there's a, a whole lot you could uh, divulge, starting with their films, and that's been done right. certainly. And then uh, I think there's probably about fifty books for them already. They're all ready, so I contribute whenever I can on uh, little sidebars. Uh, we have our own uh, Intertent Journal magazine. And I've, uh, over the years, I've participated in some of those articles. Right. Okay. But uh, I'm like you. I, I like to write about people and things that haven't been written in a book format before. Right. I champion their lives. I, that's what I I'm a Hollywood biographer. Mm-hmm. Now, to keep it on the, uh, the, the uh, Laurel and Hardy theme, just because... Uh, I wanted to ask about this first. This is one. This was not your first book, but and you also were a co-author. But uh, how did you? Was it your love of Laurel and Hardy that uh, you decided to write the book about Henry Brandon? It was uh, not an easy decision because I I got to meet Henry Brandon mm-hmm. back in the day, and uh, but we didn't know anything about his life to interview him he died in 1990 mm-hmm. and uh so yeah he'd be an interesting subject but, but who knew enough to write about him right uh no one no <laughs> one so it came to be it's a good question because it came to be a few years back that um there was an um a gal named lisa ballister and uh, she's a, a, an American Indian. Mm-hmm. And um, she contacted 
my co my co-author Rick Green and I said, why don't you guys write a book about Henry Brandon? Well, we have the same hesitation. Well, but we don't know anything about his life. So we could write about his films, I suppose, but we didn't have all that much information, nor have we seen all of his output. So we dug archaeological dig, if you will. Yeah. And uh, so we between the two of us, we were able to see just about everything he put out and able to document it. And uh, so he had over 200 film credits uh, <laughs> yeah. combined with stage experiences. Uh, and so we hit up the uh, archival newspaper articles and tried to glom whatever we could. Mm -hmm. So that's the basis. We were encouraged by a Native um, American Mm -hmm. And uh, we thought, well, with her with her backing, this is going to make it okay, because we didn't want to write about the fact that Henry Brandon portrayed uh, uh, the Indians, you know, uh, uh, you know, the bad Indians, and and uh, uh, but he, through the years, you know, he actually paved the way for working American Indians in mm -hmm. the field. And he was very gracious about that. He, you know, at first he said they were very hesitant. They were happy to be in maybe one of those Westerns, but uh, he would coach them if they had a line. And towards the end, you know, he said he, they deserve it. You know, he, he was pretty much phased out of uh, those kind of roles. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I mean, my whole, exposure to him initially as probably was yours was barnaby in the laurel and hardy <laughs> version of babes in toyland and i go hey this is an interesting fellow but i never knew anything he did i thought he was uh, you know initially as uh, that he was a much older gentleman than he you know i thought that he was like 60 or 70 doing that laurel and hardy thing you know he wasn't like what 25 30 or something like that he was pretty young when 22 22 okay. 22 yeah, I knew he was pretty yeah. young, you know, that's even younger than I thought, you know, and it's like, wow, you know. He was uh, discovered by Hal Roach attending a uh, uh, melodrama in the L.A. area, and he was the star, um, and he he was able to uh, convince everyone, he was an old man, bent mm -hmm. back and uh, uh it became a very famous play locally. In fact, it, it lasted for 20 years unending. Henry performed that role for the first three years until he eventually got his uh, foot involved with the uh, film industry, which was his goal. Mm -hmm. And um, in the course of doing the book, and it just can kind of probably parlay under the other books but we'll get to those in a minute it is just uh when you were discovering his films did you discover films that weren't like an official list like imdb and other books and things oh, like yes. that oh, oh wow. yeah okay okay oh yes there there was one there was one film i'll maybe i'll think of the title um but it was uh he didn't have any dialogue. It was a short film, Metropolitan Opera, I think is the name. Long lost, but this was before the war. 
And uh, that film was uh, highly praised by the Italian critics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to read a couple of reviews, but I can't find anything about it uh, stateside where they released it. Hmm. Might be through RKO. I couldn't really nail it down. It was mm -hmm. a real artistic achievement. Love to see that, but I think it's gone. Mm -hmm. then, but that's an example of you know, some obscure things that he was in. And uh, and stage plays, he played every type of character you can add, mostly lovers mm -hmm. uh, or eccentrics, mm -hmm. uh, unlike his movie persona, which used to, yeah, I think he, he died. <laughs> Someone killed him his character on film probably more often than any other actor. That's <laughs> out, out of my back pocket. We never compared those, but I th just about every role he's in, even in television, he dies. So he's pretty dramatic. That's funny. <laughs> never really thought about it that way. Um, uh, now uh, I didn't know he's also, because I didn't know he was so young that he worked till pretty recently. I mean, you said he passed away at, uh, 1990, but uh, I've seen Mel Brooks's To Be or Not To Be yeah. do dozens of times and yeah. never thought about that he's in it <laughs> as a Nazi officer. And it's like, uh, was he credited on that? I haven't seen it since I just, oh, yeah. you know, I mentioned that, oh, you know, I was like, he was in that? Okay. All right. You know. Henry was born in Germany. Mm -hmm. So he could knock off those uh, German accents and in fact, um, uh, he performed when he was he went to Stanford College, mm -hmm. and um, he also was in plays. In fact, a few of them were performed in the German language, mm -hmm. and uh, so he did his homework. He knew his stage work and uh, how to talk, you know, over the over the top mm -hmm. German. Uh, uh, accents so he got a lot of roles in movies being the, the bad german guy mm -hmm. and then uh you know i i just kind of noticed this about mel brooks in general is he would tend to um cast like arguably forgotten character actors into his movies a lot of times uh yeah. uh with i you know i haven't looked at it that closely but it was henry brandon working all the way to the end or was that pretty much his last role the one i was just mentioning there was one more after to be or not to be was called wizards of the lost kingdom 2 <laughs> i don't think i've seen that one okay <laughs> not too many people have okay. but he played a bad guy over the top bad guy in the beginning and end. So, uh, and his face is prominently featured in the posters that they put out at the time. But uh, those were typical uh, Henry Brandon little cameos. But I, I think that was his last movie. You know, we were friends during that time, so he used to give us updates. Mm hmm. What was he like in person? I mean, you know, I only know him kind of like as Barnaby, really. And, I, you know, it's like <laughs> I know that's a part, so he's not really that way. But, uh, yeah. you know, how how did he kind of act in real life? I mean, <laughs> well, to us, uh, let me put it better perspective. Uh, 
Andrew Brown had probably thought of us as a bunch of kids, which <laughs> we were yeah. compared to him. And we wanted to know about Laurel and Hart. Tell us about Laurel and Hart. Tell us about, about, about that he had so many diversified roles. He didn't try and and uh, teach us or point us in different directions. You know, that was for us to figure out later on. But he made the, the uh, serials with the Fu Manchu character. Yeah. And, um, and uh, like I say, over hundreds of, of roles. So we didn't know that much. Mm-hmm. But as a as a friend, he was uh, a phone call away. When he went on the road, he'd write a postcard, and uh, he appreciated the Sons of the Desert. They um, we treated him like a big celebrity, but like what he was and deserved. A nice guy, yeah. But he could be intense as well. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, apart from the Laurel and Hardy film, was his biggest role possibly in The Searchers or uh, the John Wayne film? Or am I misthinking that? Did he have a big part in The Searchers? I, d- I don't yeah, remember. Yeah he, yeah, he played the uh, the Native American, okay. the, the one that kidnapped okay. Okay. the girl. Yeah, because it's been and a while since like, I've seen it, so I'm going, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I should have watched it before I did this, but you know, it's like I figured I could ask you and you could tell me. But yeah, oh, you you <laughs> could put a photograph of him in character with him and Barnaby, and and even film buffs uh, never realized that it was two of the same people, but mm-hmm. two different uh, characters. <laughs> when you talked to him over the years, uh, did he like those type of roles? I know some actors they love the dressing up and the makeups and things like uh, Anthony Perkins was one of those ones. He didn't like being himself. He liked being behind the mask, behind a role or something like that. Was Henry like that? Uh, not necessarily, but he did say he preferred stage hmm. over film. In fact, one of the quotes we put in, in the book was someone asked him, aren't you a movie star? And he said, I'm not a star. I'm an actor, <laughs> not a movie star. So that's where uh, that's where his feelings lay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on from him, two of your books are related to a different comedy group or team or whatever is Three Stooges as opposed to Laurel and Hardy. Uh, do you have like a similar equal love to the Three Stooges and maybe other comedy teams? Uh, oh yeah, which is oh, okay. So you're oh, no, around it all over the map. You're not just. Morgan I grew Hardy. up with all that. So mm-hmm. um, whenever someone wrote a, a book or a, an article that came to me, I would read with interest and try to learn. Uh, but it came to a point where I was interested in the history of the Three Stooges, how they came to be. Mm-hmm. And the only reference we had was Moe's autobiography that filled in some gaps, but some things didn't match up. Right. So, uh, you know, it all started with a fellow by the name of Ted Healy, a big Mm -hmm. vaudeville star, Mm -hmm. also played on Broadway. But um, he, you know, it's a long story, but eventually he got Moe, Larry, Curly, and Shemp. And uh, created uh, part of his act 
he was a star, he was a singer, comedian, and um, and the boys joined him. You know, then they branched off, as most people know. But Ted Healy was the founder. He's the father of that act. Mm-hmm. He invented the characteristics of each of their film personalities. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in doing research for that book, uh, and we're talking the Ted Healy book, um, was it difficult? To, like in going back where we were saying that, oh, Laurel and Hardy are now both dead, so there's no reason for any more books. So obviously you couldn't interview Ted Healy. Uh, was it difficult finding information about him? Ted Healy's an exception hmm. because he was such a big star on stage. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, in 1924, he was nominated for Comedian of the Year. Mm-hmm. 1924. That's way before the Stooges. And uh, he was an interesting character, and he had his demons. But uh, his career was was pretty well documented in newspapers as uh, as news. Mm-hmm. So uh, whenever he had something personal going, uh, you know, newspapers followed him around. Walter. Um, I better strike that. I can't think of the gentleman's name. The uh, the narrator used to write a column, and uh, he followed Ted Healy through through his life. He was. A, Are you referring to Walter, Walter Winchell? Winchell? Yeah. Okay. Walter Winchell. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess that that helps because I've never really done research on Ted Healy. My my knowledge of him really has to do with uh, whatever's written in Stooge right. books. So you know, it's like. Well, if, that was the only, you know, I wouldn't be able to write about the Three Stooges, but I could write about their beginning, starting with the father mm-hmm. of the act. So right. there was lots of uh, archival newspapers, so I could develop uh, a string, uh, a timeline, I should say, of his uh, life and career. And he had a colorful life and career. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when he... Uh... Now, did he originate the Stooges, or how did that kind of work? Or did Mo and him kind of meet, and they thought this might be a good idea? Because it, it, there's differing stories that I've read. I mean, unfortunately, Mo Howard and the Three Stooges book isn't 100% accurate from what we found out since. So, you know, there's, you know, yeah, I don't know what to believe. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. So <clears throat> That's why I wrote the book. And I, will, I will have straight. to get it. I have your other Stooge book, which we'll get to in a second. But yeah, I have to it, it'll, it sets the record straight. Uh-huh. And uh, I wasn't out to uh, contradict anyone. I wanted to learn. So uh, Ted Healy was such an interesting person. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize I would stumble on some of those higher dates. Mm. Uh, Mo said that uh, we picked up Larry in 1925. Mm-hmm. Except that Mo wasn't with the with Ted Healy in 1925. Um, Ted Healy and Larry Fine didn't meet until 1928. Mm. 1928. It so found not only newspaper article but a little ad uh, where Larry was performing, and um, so it's a long story, but yeah. uh, it's it's told in, in that book. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Mo and Shemp knew Ted Healy 
back in 1909. Okay. And uh, so they were always friends, and and there is some uh, there there are some uh, newspaper accounts in Variety where Ted Healy took out an ad thanking both the Moen Moen Shemp for participating in his act at the time in vaudeville. But um, about 1923, uh, Ted Healy got hired uh, on Broadway, and the producers had their own ideas of their support. So that all faded away until until late 20s. Well, like I say, it sounds complicated, but mm-hmm. there were increments where it really wasn't until 1932 mm-hmm. when the name Stooges crept in. Ted Hughes mm-hmm. started referring to his comic support act as Stooges. Mm-hmm. And um, and then from there, you know, that's how they were always referred to. But Stooges was a, a professional jargon. You know, mm-hmm. people yeah. in the business always had Stooges to bounce off of. A comedy, that is. Right. And, um, and so... Ted Healy is credited with introducing that word, mm-hmm. so the the masses could uh, identify who they who they were. They weren't just the uh, Howard Fine and Howard; they were Stooges. Mm-hmm. So the rest is history. Now the interesting thing is, I've I have gone on record for years saying, "What the heck do the three Stooges ever need Ted Healy for? They were funny <laughs> in their own right." Okay, well, hear me out. Uh, they're funnier in their own right, but you know already just hearing what you're talking about in your book now i'm asking the question flip it around what did ted healy see in these other guys weren't they kind of hangers on and it's like i'm my own guy i want to do my own thing or did he really need a stooges act for him to progress his career well back when ted healy was was topping the cast in a, a night in spain mm-hmm. he it was a variety show mm-hmm. and uh so he had he had different actors and comedians it was a whole hour and a half show mm-hmm. and uh, so the next season they had to do something else and he be uh Bo, larry and shemp were included on a special little uh act part of the show where they were, uh, you know, as comic spotters. And Ted Healy remembered that. So when the Depression hit, (laughs) everyone was scrambling for work. And Ted Healy, instead of a Broadway play, a big production, he condensed it down to just him and his supporting students. And that was that took hold around 1932. Mm-hmm. Now, backing up, some of you remember uh, Soup to Nuts. That was yeah. a movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it didn't really capture anyone's imagination. Ted Hewitt was the star. And uh, Bo, Shemp, and Larry were in it. We're not talking 1930. But uh, it didn't, uh, it wasn't that popular. So. Mm-hmm. They all went their different ways for a little while until they reconvened in 1932. Mm-hmm. So is the 
uh, basic story of when they split and then the Stooges became solo. Is that pretty much accurate, or did you find inaccuracies or uncovered information that they split mm-hmm. after soup to nuts? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, more power to them. They're trying to build up on their own success instead of being employees of Ted Healy. Right. And Ted Healy was the star, and they were trying to get their own stake in, in the show business so yeah it was, it was a split yeah. but Ted Healy went on to perform in, in Broadway mm-hmm. with uh, I can't think of their names right now but, well he uh, had other stooges definitely yeah like uh, uh, Mousy Garner was one and you know I can't think of all the other ones but uh, you know I, I, I don't know if that was to keep that stooge thing going or you know how that worked that, that was like, after that was after 1933. Mm-hmm. They called them replacement students, uh, students but uh, <laughs> I could make an argument that, that Mousy and the others were original students because that's the first time their name was associated with that word. We're talking mm-hmm. 1931. Yeah. Um, no, it was, uh, he was, Ted, he was such a big star. And he had comic, I, I, mean, I have about 10 or 12 quotes from other uh, comedians that mm-hmm. they said, Ted, Ted Hugh was the guy with the ideas, with the energy, with the talent. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I mentioned before, he established that each of their personalities, characteristics of uh, Mo, Larry Shemp and Curly. So that's pretty good. Mm. Okay. I'm definitely going to have to check this book out because you're revising my opinions about all this. I'm very open to, you know, <laughs> yes, that one. Nobody's stooge Ted Healy. So I will definitely be buying that before the year's out. <laughs> um, now, on his own, it seemed like Healy uh, seemed to get some decent roles where he was with, uh, you know, like he worked against uh, or opposite uh, Clark Gable a couple times. Robert Montgomery, Joan Crawford, uh, Gene Harlow, you know, just various. So had he not died so young, uh, where do you think Ted would have gone? Let me backtrack. Okay. (laughs) Get to your question, because uh, a lot of people are confused on this. In 1933, uh, students were under contract to him. And Ted Healy got a contract with MGM. So Stooges were still Ted's employment. Right. So in February of 34, MGM said, we can't figure out what to do with these Stooges. They already played as children a couple of times. So they, um, they weren't interested in them. Mm. And they, maintained, they retained Ted Healy as one of their A uh, character actors. So he made about 40 movies and in those five years, uh, actually less than that, four years. Mm-hmm. So he was with all the A stars. So when he died, he had the world would have been his pearl if he had been healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, radio was beckoning him. He was a natural MC, and uh, he could have you know, whatever character role he played. Uh, a, a lot of different ones for MGM, but he was always kind of a hard, brash guy. 
I see a lot of, uh, you know, Mo used to describe himself as a third rate Ted Healy. <laughs> so that's, that's how much, uh, you know, that was just a one dimension part of Ted Healy was the enforcer like Mo was. But uh, Ted Healy had a lot of range. MGM recognized that, and he had a national following. Uh, uh, magazine articles following Ted Healy. Mm-hmm. So uh, we just forgot. We, you know, we were born too late to appreciate that. But uh, what he could have been—not uh, a leading man—he he, he would <laughs> maybe wound up on radio. Certainly, early TV, he was young enough. He would have been able to pull off uh, just about anything. Hmm. Headlining. Hmm. And uh, what was I going to ask about him? Uh, oh, I know. Uh, so in your research, and you don't have to reveal what this is if you want to keep your book a little mystery, but uh, there are a little bit of conflicting circumstances surrounding his death. Did you uncover anything that makes what definitively happened uh, like you said this is probably like 99 percent accurate than what happened not all this rumor and everything else when you were done that was one of the reasons i i wanted to write that book coming from law enforcement i thought i would have a a pretty good take on whatever (laughs) the facts there were right contradictory as they sometimes seem to be so that was one of the first uh, things I wanted to establish. If he was murdered, I would have jumped right on that and supported the facts. Mm-hmm. But uh, to make a, I wrote a whole book about this. So to condense the topic here, Ted Healy, you know, he was an alcoholic. He was, he was probably um, had some, uh, mental problems uh now they take medicine for it you know right and uh he was not murdered he was not murdered someone made that up Mm -hmm. in the 80s the wallace berry murdered him right oh is that juicy (laughs) what What? it wasn't even there so uh, Mm -hmm. uh, that night Wellsbury got punched in the head at the Tropicana. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I can't think of it, Broccoli, mm-hmm. the person that later produced James Bond's oh, film. Tubby Broccoli. Yeah. 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 Ted was at the Tropicana celebrating the birth of his only son, mm-hmm. born just a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And he was on a binge drinking. <laughs> And uh, anyway, he got uh, struck in the head. And uh, so he went under doctor's care. But, you know, I'm reading coroner reports and see the photographs. And the coroner divulged that uh, his wound on his head was superficial. Mm -hmm. But they did an autopsy and um, there was no bleeding on the brain, no and it didn't uh, expand, you know. So they they discovered the true cause of death it was nephritis of the 
kidney nephritis, liver problems, and uh, he'd probably been suffering uh, pain for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that, so he used to subside the pain by drinking more. <laughs> and it was, it was a shock to Hollywood when he died. Mm-hmm. And everyone, uh, even the freelancers, were sniffing around trying to, you know, there's a period of time after someone, a celebrity dies, and that's true of this era as well, to the coroner's reports of what happened. So there's rumors. They go to the Tropicana and they ask around, and uh, did anyone see this? So, like I say, I condensed all that into uh, uh, whatever was written about at the time I, I put into the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people come to their correct uh, decision when they're reading the facts for themselves. So I, I hate to uh, say, no, it was untrue about the book. Read for yourself. Yeah. I lay out all the facts. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I hate it when people just say, oh, he was uh, killed by so-and-so. But, uh, well, it wasn't a homicide. If it was a homicide, they would have followed through. Yeah. And they did. It was, it was dropped, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's how these things work. Yeah. Well, at least it, it sounds like you found definitive proof uh, from your research. You know, it's right. not like it's not like the the George Reeves Superman case, which is still seemingly up in the air after all this time. But you know, that's a different uh, topic altogether. Yeah. yeah. Oh. We won't go into that. That's a whole other thing. But you know. Uh, I'm glad that you were able to find that. I, I, I do that in my own research, and I'm very happy. I, I suppose it gives you a sense of gratification that you go, I found out the truth here, you know, and you know what really happened. You know. It's the truth, and I've seen pictures that have been doctored up <laughs> and uh, exaggerated to the point where it's ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, it's all, I know I have uh, colleagues that took a look at it as well for me and and uh their opinions and so there's always conspiracy theories that you can just discount mm-hmm. very cool so like i said i'm gonna have to get that book now the other book that's related to the stooges i have read and it is a really good book the vernon dent book i don't know if you have that to hold up if you don't that's fine vernon dent stooge heavy and uh as i was saying before we started the show uh, for some reason, Ben Omar, our, our uh, respective publisher from Bear Manor, uh, when that book came out, he says, I need some people to read and review this book. And I said, I'll take it. It's stooge stuff. I'll read it. You know, and I was fascinated by it because I didn't know anything other than him working with the Stooges. I mean, I kind of guess I did know he worked with Harry Langdon, but beyond that, didn't know anything. And uh you know, it was fascinating because I thought, you know, it's like, is there enough information about it's like all it's like Ted Healy. Is there enough information out here? Uh, so uh, how was that to work on as a project? Were you worried uh, that you wouldn't find anything again or did you already have your uh, uh, references lined up? <laughs> well, before I commit to a book, uh, if I have an interest in someone, I'll see what information's out there and i will tell you there was nothing on yeah. Vernon <laughs> until um ed watts and ted akuda wrote their columbia shorts book was there even something mentioned about Vernon dent they mentioned him because he was a 
a support character actor with the Three Stooges. So they identified that he was born in San Jose. Mm-hmm. Like, Wait a minute. That's my neck of the woods. Yeah. Go there? Yeah. So, so it became a, as you say, a hobby. You know, I do a little research on a lot of people. And I have a little file. And uh, I think it broke for me when I found the census. And I saw where uh, Bernadette's dad went to Willow Glen Elementary. And, <laughs> and uh, his grandfather owned a lot of property. Not only Willow Glen, but Saratoga and mm-hmm. Los Gatos. And I see where his property, uh, Raleigh Dent's property, 10 acres, was on Willow Street, which is now Camino Raymond. Mm-hmm. And uh, found a map in 1890 to clarify that. Said, Wait a minute. That's across the street from where I grew up at Willow Street Park. <laughs> and I've been, I, looked at this house growing up it, it was a an old farmhouse 1963 1964 65 was boarded up now i never made any connotation but i said oh, i hope they don't tear that that old house down because all the other houses were more modern well someone moved into it and, and uh, spruced it up and raised a, a big family and so when I found that census and the map of 1890, I said I corroborated it by uh, a write-up of Raleigh Dent where he lived. The right smack there, so <laughs> so he was uh, walking distance away from where I grew up. So there's wow. your my connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got out more about this guy, and uh, uh, he started in the in the business as an impersonator. He and song. Uh, used to sing and he made a profession of that until the movie's called mm-hmm. and for Senate primarily. So he yeah. was a sporting comic. Right. Hank, Hank Mann discovered him as, as a singer first and mm-hmm. had him support him in his comedies. Mm-hmm. And then before the studios, I think, didn't he do a number of silence? If I remember, it's been a while since I read the book, but uh, so uh, he wasn't just pigeonholed as, you know, just the foil for the Stooges. He he basically did oh. everything. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, from about nineteen eighteen on, yeah. he was in in silent movies until mm-hmm. it went to talkies, and, and Columbia didn't hire him for the Three Stooges till nineteen thirty four. So mm-hmm. he had a, a big career, and that was one of the uh, objectives of mine is to find a document every film he was in and every public appearance he appeared in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, a lot of research. I was yeah. lucky. And similar to the Henry Branded film, I assume you found a lot of films that nobody knew about and things like that. In your, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was, first of all, Henry had his, his real name was Henry Kleinbach. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't, know that Henry Brandon was Henry Kleinbach at one time. That's uh, so we had to dig deep to find the Henry Kleinbach's stage appearances. And uh, about 1936 is when Henry got the Brandon last name. There's a lot of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Now going back to Vernon, um, 
correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, was he supporting player in more Stooges shorts than anyone else, or is email yes. Sitka? Okay. I didn't it was know. in 56 Stooge shorts. Okay. I wasn't sure if email Sitka kind of surpassed that, but... Uh, <laughs> Not even close. Really? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I guess email was more into like the... Um, feature fa- films and stuff like that and you know occasional tv appearances and stuff but you know okay all right um and then and uh, Lang- can't, you can't forget harry langdon because he, um for the time langdon was with senate and later educational uh for most of those uh, uh silent comedies he had vernon as his as his heavy mm-hmm uh, they weren't pals like Laurel and Hardy. They were usually, you know, different characters bouncing off each other. Hmm. But uh, I like to point people to Senate comedy uh, Saturday afternoon, 1925. And if you look at that, it's almost a blueprint of what Laurel and Hardy became, because they were buddies. And Vernon um, was the, uh, you know, he was kind of the, the bully a little bit. Uh, to Harry Langdon's character, so it's it's uh, really interesting. All those Langdon Dent comedies are really interesting. Yeah, I will have to rewatch those again too. <laughs> um, let's see. Now, the book that of that we haven't talked about yet that I didn't know you did, uh, but I know of him uh, <laughs> is Edgar Kennedy, the master of the slow burn. Um, yeah. So. So uh, I guess uh, tell me a little bit about him and you know, how you got interested in that one. Is There is connections that connect to these different uh, uh, comedy it's personal, themes. It's all a personal connection. Uh, I was, as said before, I was living in Monterey mm-hmm. and uh, Leonard Maltin's book on short comedies came out. And uh, Edgar Kennedy right there and said, uh, born in Monterey. <laughs> what uh, like I said I was a history buff in Monterey so I tried to learn everything I could I asked around and I said uh, no we don't know Ed, Ed Kennedy nothing and uh, so it just kind of laid there I, I was very frustrated mm. and uh, where it all came together is we found Edgar Kennedy's uh, daughter mm-hmm and she filled us in. Uh, he was born in a homestead in southern Monterey County, hmm. and only stayed there as a as a boy till his father died. So he moved up to San Francisco with his mom, hmm. and um, started his stage experiences up there. He was also a singer. Most people don't realize that, hmm. and went on to, you know, start at Senate, and. Uh, and later on, RKO picked it. And he went to Hal Roach. That's where most people first uh, recognized him working with yep. Laurel and Hardy and our gang kids. Mm-hmm. So it was personal. I wanted to know and, and document it uh, in book form, his, his life. And fortunately, I had his daughter to fill me in on the latter part of his life. So that made it well-rounded biography. Was she in Monterey also at the time? Oh no! Oh okay. no! No, they they were uh, Henry 
was a success in Hollywood, living in Beverly Hills. Oh, okay. She was born about 1927 or so. Okay. So she had a Hollywood growing up. Okay. <laughs> so, but that was fun to learn that you know, all the time yeah. she went to the, some of those parties and um, affairs. Right. Well, it sounds like, uh, you know, on picking book subjects, you know, it's a little similar to myself, although I don't go by the local angle too much, but I am fascinated when I go, they grew up here. They were right here, you know, where I lived, you know, because I don't know if you were the same way. You always assume everybody either grew up in New York or Hollywood or somewhere else, you know, Stooges were all, they're all back east. There's nothing out here, you know, nobody would be from here, you know, or something like that. Well, that, that's exactly what tickled my fancy. I said, wait, he's born in Santa Fe. This now becomes my responsibility to, right. to put it in book form so people can appreciate that. And uh, local historians were shocked. Said we never heard about this. Hmm. So um, uh, I'll tell you an interesting fact about Vernon. He started his show business career in San Jose at the Empire Theater, mm -hmm. and in 1909 he made the news by fall. It was it was just opened up brand new cinema after the earthquake. And he leaned on a on a railing in the, the second floor and tumbled down below. He was only about uh, 14 years old or so. And he broke his leg and he landed in a chair upright. And everyone was upset, but he said, no, let's go. I'm okay. I'm okay. So he became uh, uh, kind of a, um, the, the, the other actors responded to him he became like a good luck mascot <laughs> and you know i think that blew the wind of his sails to where this is what i want to be he learned everything from the bottom up working at that empire theater and the actors he took care of and uh you know he progressed to paramount theater in oakland where he uh, his after uh, i got an intercept here his father was murdered when his father was murdered. So that was an interesting aspect of his life, a complete different trajectory of his uh, life. So he wound up in Oakland and proceeded from there. Mm -hmm. So well, lots to lots to put in for yeah. a book for people that love Vernon Dent but don't know that much about him. Right. Okay. Now, uh, I just want to kind of wrap up uh talking again about your latest book, The Hollywood Monterey, uh, Confessions of a Cop. Um, now, I, I kind of read it quickly because, you know, you sent me a copy, which I will read more thoroughly. But, I mean, as far as uh, becoming a law enforcement down in Monterey, was that your initial choice or is that where things ended up? I mean, if you're from San Jose, I, I don't know if I got that part. Uh, I started, I'm with San Jose State, got yeah. my degree and got, uh, a job with San Jose uh, PD records yeah. went on to become a deputy for Santa Clara County. Yeah. But uh, I, I met this young school teacher from Monterey uh, and <laughs> fell in love and uh, said, well, maybe I'll get a job down here. Look, Monterey Peninsula, yeah. get a job as a cop down here. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. So we mm -hmm. got married and um, I I had a 27-year career with the Monterey County Sheriff's Office. Right. Now, 
I knew that some of the people you talked about lived in that area. Did you know that people like Clint Eastwood and Doris Day and all those others, Terry Melcher and everybody lived in that area prior to you moving there? Uh, I knew it, but yeah, it wasn't something I was ever going to pursue as a fan. <laughs> I, 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 uh, though I consider myself an ambassador. Work right. for the sheriff department. You're an ambassador, and uh, and you got to look out for VIPs, not to intrude in their lives, but to be a buffer if if you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, believe it or not, they. Dorothy Day would get death threats. Clint Eastwood would get death threats. And uh, so, you know, you have to protect the businesses, the schools. So all mm-hmm. that's all part of my job. So uh, mm-hmm. I eventually met those movie stars that lived in Monterey. Over through my, my job, I was summoned for some mm-hmm. sort of problem. So... Uh, I don't know how do friendships begin uh, <laughs> casually, casually, yep. but I became very good friends with Joan Fontaine. Yep. And uh, uh, people are amused at this. She invited, uh, I'd sent divorce and, and remarried. And uh, Joan was very interested in my new love. And uh, she invited us to be married at her house. <laughs> so we said, okay. We're going to do it, and we did. So that's uh, 13 years, 16 years ago, something. 17. 17. Thank you. She heard you talking about. (laughs) But um, so I guess uh, you probably figured out uh, Joan Fontaine has another connection. You know, she lived in Saratoga, you know, where I grew up. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's like, and of course, her sister's Olivia de Havilland, you know, and things like that. That, Uh, That's how the French start. We start comparing notes. Yeah. Uh, Her father was the uh, general manager at, at Hale's department store downtown San Jose. Yep. I told her my grandfather probably cut his hair because he was at his barbershop across the street. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and my wife uh, also grew up in Saratoga. So we oh. had uh, coming <laughs> Oh, cool. So, um, obviously, you know, I guess, I guess my question is, so you, you probably knew as far as the law enforcement job that you would probably encounter different celebrities oh, in the area just because of just a matter of course but did you think you would become close friends with any of them or anything like that in the course of your line of duty um did you uh, so did you think you would develop those type of friendships then or no i, I never pursued thoughts like that i was just trying to get through to the next day the next day. right and have my own home life and yeah. uh, but like to say over the course of, I, I think I met Doris about 14 years into my job mm-hmm. Doris Day and his and her son Terry Melcher when I was doing uh, I was involved in uh, Monterey County Film Commission and also the uh, crime uh, there was a nonprofit organization that supported law enforcement, Quant Stoppers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I asked Terry Melcher for his help. I uh, had an idea for a fundraiser, Calamity Jane Night in Carmel. 
And uh, I was naive. I <laughs> sent out a letter and he responded, yes, under these conditions. And uh, people told me, well, she has never responded <laughs> that since she's been on the peninsula. Wow, so I, this better be good. So uh, uh, I got interviewed uh, by the Hollywood Reporter, and we and uh, the, the wire picked up on it. So we had people coming to that Calamity Jane night that Doris Day and Clint Eastwood came and, and talked to the audience. Mm-hmm. It was a big success. So I'm very proud of that. Very cool. Yeah, my connection to all that whole thing. I, I met Doris Day once, uh, but uh, my connection, I used to do video shoots down at Pebble Beach. And so Clint was always there and uh, a number of different pro-am celebrities would show up. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, so I got to meet Jack Lemon. I'll just rattle some names off. Oh, yeah. uh, Huey Lewis, uh, uh, the George Lopez, uh, uh, the Dennis... Uh, well, what is his name? I think Dennis Quaid, you know, if I remember correctly, you know, uh, uh, the other, the other guy who dances for with wolves, I can't think of all the names, you know, it's like, so, you know, I did you have anything? About, Go ahead. I have a story about that with Jack Lemon. Yeah. We had a, a fairway one house that uh, during the, the Crosby and later the 18T yeah. is where uh, a lot of the uh, VIPs hung out mm-hmm. before and after the event that day the tournament and uh i was usually assigned at that place it's just opposite the first tee mm-hmm. and uh, uh the year before we had a deputy put in that position he didn't know anyone from anyone <laughs> it was strictly law enforcement yeah and uh jack lemon came walking up and he wearing a red sweater you know when he was coming towards the and he was challenged he said i'm sorry you have to have credentials to come in here and he said uh, and i'm jack lemon <laughs> nothing nothing to this guy he said i don't care if your name jack grapefruit you can't come in without credentials <laughs> oh embarrassment so that word got out and and i said i'm i'm working back there next year and the okay. same so the same scenario where I was looking out for Jacqueline Lemon this time. Yeah. And I saw him start approaching me and he caught uh, me visually and he, he went like this and he turned around. He was going to go back to his hotel and get his credentials. I said, Jack, it's okay. Come mm-hmm. on back. <laughs> I escorted him in. <laughs> it helps to know. Yeah. It helps to know. So we may have inadvertently crossed paths over the years just because of me being there. You know, I was running the camera at a friend named Dane Andrew. He was actually doing the video production and we'd shoot interviews and everything uh, that were on entertainment tonight, all the usual suspect type shows and things like that. So I did that for a number of years, about 20 years. So, you know, oh, good. I think the last time was about 2005. So it's been a while, <laughs> but, you know, used to lug all the big camera equipment and all that stuff so you know <laughs> and it was always a pain in the neck probably thanks to you <laughs> that we had to get all our press credentials and everything and it was always like you know jumping through hoops to make sure you had all the correct ones or you'd be escorted off the properties or you know 
Yeah. At what time I was the uh, public information officer for the sheriff's department. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of uh, stressful incidents that occurred and I was the spokesman for the sheriff's department. So a lot of that is also in the book. It's not just celebrities. It's a, yeah. a lot of uh, my law enforcement career interspersed and overlapped with uh, celebrity and encounters. And uh, after I retired, 13 years ago, I started to think uh, I had a pretty colorful career. It's, I'm not unique in that. I think every deputy in Monterey County could have, should write their own book if they're inclined, but take a lot of dedication. And uh, as a history buff as I am, I decided, you know, this is, I could chronicle at least this period of time uh, with my involvement. So maybe have something for my kids down the road if they. Mm-hmm. Decide to read the book. <laughs> well, I'm not sure. <laughs> Say that. Go ahead. <laughs> You're not sure what. Well, that, I was a little humor that you know. I'm sure. I'm not sure if my kids have finished reading my book. They don't want to finish it. So oh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, I found it kind of uh, rather fascinating because it's like. I, you know, I, I hate to say it's just kind of my, a stereotype, I, I, you know, it's like, it always seems like if somebody's in law enforcement or anything similar to that, or being a doctor or a lawyer or something, there's no interest whatsoever in anything creative or anything like that. Uh, but I have lawyer friends, one of my co-authors, he writes books all the time. So it's like, yeah. you know, it, 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 it of course happens, but you know, I, I don't, the natural thought is it's like, you know, they're too busy being what they're doing to be to have creative impulses and thoughts and have, you know, outside pursuits and hobbies, you know, but, you know, we're not machines. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, you need something to stabilize your, but I like to laugh. Yeah, I think uh, like a comic, uh, what situation can I make a, get a laugh out of? Yeah. And uh, I think that helps balance especially in law enforcement people in law enforcement laugh the loudest and longest <laughs> that compared to most other professions in my opinion i've seen it mm-hmm. they want to laugh yeah and you know that's i think that helps in your writing style from what i've seen uh you know it's very light-hearted it's very easy to read it's not uh cumbersome read to go, oh my god i have to see clint eastwood you know it's like uh <laughs> you know um uh i i noticed you mentioned because the the stereotype about cops and donuts you mentioned the the donut museum that unfortunately is no longer there in san jose and things like that uh, no yeah. i grew up with manly's donuts on yeah so I always say that was my uh, introduction to law enforcement. I ate donuts at an early age. Yes. So that, <laughs> I never that, went to law that enforcement. That type was there. But I love the donuts. So there we yeah. go. But anyway. Um, so at this point, um, you know, you have, what, uh, five books. Uh, what's five. next? What's next? Anything on the that you can disclose? <laughs> I, I'm compiling uh, data for character actor that's has been dead since 2000 i don't want to say his name because i may not be able to follow through yeah it has book worthy mm-hmm. and may not be a big star but it has to be interesting right and uh 
just like all my subjects, but uh, I'm having problems with the end part of his life. Hmm. Uh, getting someone, his peers that work with him. And they're, you know, that's the thing. When you try to pick up a, a biography of someone long since deceased, you may not get peer uh, descriptions. Right. So um, I'm always uh, cautious if it's going to be a complete book or not. So I hate to throw out the name. Right. I, yeah, I'm not going to make you do that. No, I, I totally get it. It's like until I'm ready to disclose what I'm writing a book about, you know, I don't like I keep it very hush hush because there's a chance I may not write about it or I might change my opinion or the the proverbial getting jinxed. You know, if I if I mention I'm writing about so and so and then somebody else says, ah, great idea. I'll write a book first, you know, or something like that. You well, know? my opinion about that is when you announce your your project people have anticipation right and they want to know when it's going to be available yeah so for the most part i've kept things under wraps until it's uh, in the cog to to being published then right. then i'll announce it okay well the cool thing is you are still pursuing other projects just Writing oh, your yeah. auto, autobiography wasn't the be all end all. Is it? Oh, I'm done. You know, it's like I always like it when people continue if they can. You know, obviously, you may say no. Five books is enough. That was enough for me. But you know, seems like you have a love of the history and everything. So, I still uh, peruse the uh, the uh, newspaper archives for people that I have lots of interest in some of the old timers. Lots, mm-hmm. but. I don't think it'd be uh, able to pull it together to be a book. Yeah. So, uh, I, and I've written tons of articles mm-hmm. on subjects, but I, I like the idea of a book in book form because that lasts forever. Articles right. come and go, people read it once and that's it. Uh, and uh, I, I, I enjoy writing them, but I don't think they last. So, mm. If I'm writing a book, that's a true tribute. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way as you. You know, I have my books and I like that. Uh, but I still contribute the occasional article. But the article is pretty much like, you know, a condensation of part of my book or something like that. You know, yeah. if, it's, if it's a book about comic books, let's say, I'll take, you know, a, a chapter and kind of rewrite it and rework it and add some current information. But, you know. <laughs> Um, so I get what you mean, totally. Um, I guess uh, we're at that point in the show where uh, uh, we're going to wrap things up. Um, now, do you uh, do any personal appearances, any signings or anything like that? And also, if you want to promote any or all of your books, uh, go ahead. How people can find you or find the books or uh, where you're going to be. So go ahead. Uh, December 4th or 5th, I can't quite remember. We're, I'm going to be at the Way Out West tent in Los Angeles, and they show Babes in Toyland. So I'll be there with my co-author, Rick Green, who's also the Grand Sheik there. Hmm. So after the pandemic, this is the first time you're going to show Babes in Toyland in many years. So it's going to be extra special this time uh, because the book has been released since the last time they showed it. 
So, right. And they always draw a lot of good film buffs and Laurel and Hardy people as well. So I'm looking forward to that. So mm -hmm. tonight with you, this really helps kick it off. Very good. And um, where, where do you get all your books? Are they all through Bear Manor Media or are any published by other publishers? You no, know, they're all Bear Manor Media. Okay. I think uh, my Edgar book came out in 2005. Wow. I, I think one of the first books that uh, Ben Omar published, uh, I could be wrong, but I was right there towards the beginning. He, yeah. That's he convinced me. That's before my first, my first book, my first book with his from 2009. So, you know, I didn't know when he started, but it's like I knew he had a few under his thumb already. So, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, if people want to get a hold of you, ask you questions, what's the best way to reach out to you? I'll give you my email. Okay. Uh, it's slowburnbill at AOL.com. Mm hmm of course, that's a tribute to Edgar Kennedy's uh, mannerism. Mm -hmm. you know, he would use his left hand and rub his face, register dissatisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> and he made he made about a hundred of those uh, silent comedies at RKO, where he was the average man. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, my tribute to him. Very so cool. everything goes back to the Edgar Kennedy book. That wasn't published i never would have pursued any other book projects so that was it wow okay sounds good well it's, it's almost similar to mine if i hadn't uh worked with uh ben omar who, who saw my uh article about underdog in tennessee tuxedo <laughs> ah. he said do you think you can make a book about the studio uh based on that and i go I think so. I, I just kind of said yes, even though I didn't know if I could, and because I had only done a couple interviews, but I was man, I managed to get about eight or nine interviews once I was done. So then I go, got a book, <laughs> got a book, yeah. And got now, now it's easy. It's like you know, every time I do a book, he says, "What do you want to do now?" It's like, mm, you know, how about this? Well, that's what happened with uh, after I got done with my first four books. Ben asked me. Uh, what's your next project? Uh, I wasn't ready to, to do any other biographies. I said, how about an autobiography? He said, well, uh, uh, <laughs> don't do that. Uh, I said, let me send you a few things. And he said, and after he said, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> he, he loved yeah, I didn't ask that because I was wondering about that because I know he there's certain books he doesn't do. And I was like, yeah. wow, you, you got an autobiography. <laughs> that was pretty cool. But the, the story is fascinating. So, you know, I think Ben should always take that into consideration. If, it, if it's somebody has a dull life, well, you know, don't publish it, but yours is fascinating, you know? <laughs> so, Well, I'm not a celebrity. I'm just a yeah. working stiff, you know, yeah. appreciation. but uh, you know, you take in that time frame that I, Things were pretty colorful, yeah. and but uh, a, a good dosage of, of humor in there from my perspective. So uh, it, even my peers have complimented me. A lot of them are, are very shy. Mm -hmm. All right. So it's a book for everyone. Yes, and I'll hold it up since I have it again. So here we go. It's Hollywood and Monterey Confessions of, Chronicles of a Cop. I got that wrong. Confessions of a Cop. 
Chronicles of a Cop. But uh, you've written a book about Vernon Dent, a book about uh, Edgar Kennedy, a book about uh, uh, Henry Brandon, and a book about Teddy Ely. So, you know, uh, I would say, even though I haven't read all of them, they're all worthwhile. I know at least two of them are worthwhile, so I'm sure the other three are great, too. So I'm going to have to get get my money together and start buying more books. So anyway... <laughs> Uh, I thank you, Bill Casero, uh, for being a, a guest on my Fun Ideas podcast. It was a pleasure having you. And um, we will see you next time on another yep. episode. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure with you. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Bill Casero, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 191 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.